0: Hello, and welcome to Mindful of Everything, with me, Agrita, a podcast giving you insights to the minds of deep thinkers, where in each episode, I'll be discussing various thoughts and questions deep thinkers often find themselves mindful of, from topics such as climate change, to self-development and everything else in between. So, let the journey of mind unravelling begin now. Before I begin today's episode, I'd just like to remind anybody that hasn't listened to my Climate Change Should Be Our Priority series from part one all the way to part three. Please do listen to that before you listen to today's episode to make more sense of what exactly my Climate Change series is about. Today's episode is the final episode of the Climate Change series and I will be discussing the third reason as to why I think climate change should be our priority of today's society. And that is, climate change is no longer an environmental issue, an issue that's just affecting the environment and landscapes. Climate change has now become a societal issue, a social issue, a social issue that is affecting absolutely every single member of this society. I have already explained how it's affecting us humans, but today I just want to pay a much closer attention to the parts of the world that we in the developed world in wealthy countries don't even think about on a day-to-day basis we don't think about that part of the world the part of the world that probably has no idea what the climate crisis even is or the climate crisis is even occurring right now the part of the world that really has no responsibility for causing the climate crisis but it is being affected the most And that part is the developing world, the developing countries, the developing regions, the developing nations, the part of the world that we call the developing world. So let's begin. Throughout my climate change series, I've been giving solutions for people in the developed world, in wealthy countries, like the one that I am in currently. On how we the public can help in reducing our impact on climate change on anthropogenic climate change and of course because i'm in a wealthy country in a developed country i will be giving solutions that can help people in the developed world reduce their impact on climate change but what about those countries that aren't as developed as the uk as america as any other developed country in this world what about that developing world those developing nations, what about them? How can they as individuals reduce their impact on climate change? And that is exactly where the problem lies. They have no responsibility over causing this climate crisis. They have no responsibility. Of course, they don't have as many technologies or as much money to use as sustainable methods as we do in the developed world. But even then, their impact is basically zero. And this is why I wanted to just create this episode today. I just wanted to emphasize on how little of an impact developing countries have on climate change. Even if we, as a developed world, as wealthy nations, think that less developed countries do have an impact on climate change, they actually don't. And I want to tell you exactly how. The sad part of this is that countries that are least responsible for climate change, for the climate crisis that we are facing today they are the ones that are being heavily affected by the consequences of anthropogenic climate change. Even if they haven't been having as much of an impact as wealthy countries, they are the ones that are facing the consequences. And so many of them have no idea that there is a climate crisis. They have no idea that the climate change that they are seeing right now, it has been caused by wealthier nations, and they are the ones that are facing the consequences. They are the ones that are having to suffer because of powerful nations not being able to control their emissions, whether that's food insecurity or being displaced by extreme weather that has been induced by human caused climate change. Just to give you an example of how little of an impact developing countries have on climate change 10 of the most food insecure countries in the world generate only a half ton of CO2 per person. So basically, they generate just 0.08% of the total CO2 emissions that we collectively produce, only 0.08%. So the 10 most food insecure countries, so the worst developed countries, the ones that are not developing enough, they only produce 0.08% of the CO2 emissions we produce globally. Most people think that because they are developing, They will be emitting more because they'll be using more fossil fuels. And because they just don't have that access to better technology than wealthier countries, we automatically think, okay, these developing countries, they will be producing so many more emissions because they're just not sustainable with their energy production or anything that is causing emissions. And we are totally wrong about that. Christian Aid released a report showing exactly how massive the difference is between developing countries producing CO2 and any other greenhouse gas emissions and wealthier countries producing emissions. And I would just like to go through the top 10 countries with the lowest annual CO2 emissions per person and also the top 10 countries that produce the most amount of CO2 emissions per person annually. So we're gonna start off with the lowest emission producing countries. So this is going from lowest to highest. Burundi, for anyone that doesn't know uh, where Burundi is, it's in East Africa and it's right underneath Rwanda. Burundi actually in the entire world is one country that produces near zero emissions per person. They produce 0.027 tonnes of CO2 per person annually. So basically, you can just round that to zero. Burundi is that one country that basically produces zero CO2 emissions per person. I think that's just unbelievable to hear. If you want to just compare that to developed countries, the average German annually produces 359 times that of a Burundian. The average American produces 583 times more CO2 emissions annually compared to a Burundian and a Saudi produces 719 times more CO2 than a Burundian. So you can just see how big of a difference there is between developing countries producing CO2 and developed countries producing CO2. The difference is massive and for anybody that thinks that developing countries are just emitting too many emissions compared to wealthier countries who have access to renewable energy and we know how to reduce our emissions, you're completely wrong. And anybody that thinks that, they are completely wrong. So Burundi produces the least amount of CO2 emissions annually. The next country is Democratic Republic of Congo, then Mali, then Chad, Malawi, Rwanda, Niger, Uganda, Ethiopia and Madagascar so those are the 10 countries that produce the lowest amount of CO2 emissions annually. So yes these countries produce the least amount of CO2 emissions per year but the sad thing is is that these countries are basically at the forefront of climate change. They are the countries that experience the most amount of impact from climate change. Not any wealthy country but yes these countries that basically have no input on climate change they have basically zero emissions per person and yet they are at the forefront of climate change they are experiencing the worst of climate change just to give an example of Burundi Burundi actually has the highest chronic malnutrition in this world so of course if the climate is changing and weather patterns are of course worsening the impact of climate change their food insecurity is just going to worsen Their malnutrition is just going to worsen. They're going to be affected by climate change even more if wealthier countries aren't doing enough to reduce their own emissions. The whole of East Africa, in fact, is already facing sporadic rainfall events over the past few years. And these irregular rainfall events are actually happening in the most agricultural intensive regions of East Africa. So, again, that's just going to be affecting their food insecurity. And yes, it will be affecting ours too, because quite a lot of produce actually comes from Africa. But if you think about it, wealthy countries, if Africa will stop providing to us, yes, it'll affect us, but then we'll move on to another continent, another country. But Africa, the people living in Africa, especially East Africa, they're going to be affected massively. And again, they aren't the reason for this. They aren't the cause of this climate crisis. We wealthy people, we people living in wealthy nations, we are the reason, yet they are the ones Facing the consequences of climate change. So, Burundi is basically a living example of the social injustice of climate change. They have no contribution to the climate crisis, yet they are at the forefront of climate change. They are the ones that are experiencing the worst of climate change. They are the ones that are experiencing the actual impacts of climate change. Not the wealthy countries, but countries like Burundi that have basically zero carbon emissions. Now for the top 10 countries have the highest annual CO2 emissions per capita. This is all in tons by the way. Qatar is the worst country in terms of producing the highest amount of carbon emissions. They produce 37.052 emissions per person. So if you were to compare that to Burundians, that is the same as 1,372 Burundians producing CO2 per year in tonnes. That's just crazy. That is absolutely crazy. The difference is massive. The next worst country is Iran. Then you have Kuwait, UAE, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Canada, Australia, USA and Kazakhstan. So essentially the countries or the region that is producing the most amount of carbon emissions is not surprise surprise China. It's not surprise surprise India but it's actually the Middle East, like Qatar and Kuwait and UAE. They are the ones that are producing the most amount of carbon emissions. So no, it's not any of the developing countries that need to do much about this climate crisis. It is the wealthier countries, especially the wealthiest of countries. We need to do tons more to help solve this climate crisis. And it's not just limited to extreme weather events and people having to be displaced because of extreme weather events. Climate change and an increase of CO2 has a direct impact on crop nutrients so it will definitely impact crops like rice and wheat, corn and soy and those actually make up 50% of the calories the whole world takes in so if those crops are affected it is definitely going to affect the entire world of course it will affect the developing countries more But it will be affecting wealthier countries too, because we do depend on stuff like rice and wheat and soy. And the scary thing is, is that if we continue on like this, if we continue on with the business as usual mindset, if you continue on to emit the amount of emissions that we are emitting right now, in the next 30 years, we will lose a significant amount of critical nutrients that are needed for human health. For example iron and protein and zinc all of these nutrients will be reduced by 14 to 20 percent in the next 30 years if we don't do anything about this climate crisis if we don't do anything about our impact on climate change zinc and iron deficiencies already came up to 60 million lives annually just by having less zinc and iron people are dying in numbers of 60 million so Nutrient deficiency is already affecting us. Any further loss will definitely cause the death toll to rise and, again, it will be affecting these developing regions because wealthier regions, we can find a way out. We will somehow find a way out because we have the money and resources. But developing countries don't have that. They rely on fresh produce. They rely on those nutrients that are depleting rapidly because of our impact on climate change because of our negative impact on the entire world and really the only way out of this is that developed countries just need to take the initiative to reduce their emissions heavily we can't be relying on any other person except ourselves as residents as the public of wealthier nations so we need to be doing our most to help reduce the rate at which climate change is occurring right now. So of course we need to cut down our own emissions heavily and quickly as well. Just because we don't actually see the impacts of climate change as much as developing countries doesn't mean that climate change isn't occurring. Because yes, those developing countries at the moment are experiencing the worst, but there will definitely become a time, and definitely soon, where we will be seeing the same sort of impacts as developing nations are seeing right now and have seen in the past. We will be seeing those levels of drought and floods and extreme weather and nutrient deficiency in our soils. We will be seeing that. And just because we aren't seeing that right now doesn't mean that that future won't be tomorrow or in a few years. So we need to really up our game and prioritise climate change. We need to switch to renewables as quickly as we can and we need to stop burning fossil fuels. Renewable energy is open to us. We know exactly how to do it and I think I'll definitely make an episode just on renewable energy to help you understand that we have a lot of options when it comes to renewable energy. We have a lot and they aren't as expensive as we think they are and we can definitely switch easily especially if we rely on electricity so of course we need to do much more in terms of reducing our emissions but at the current moment it does of course and i do understand it does take time for energy systems to be decentralized and to just switch to renewables i understand that takes time to convert power stations from fossil fuel power stations into renewable energy ones i get that so at the current moment i think the best thing that we can do at least to solve the issue in developing regions is just to grant underdeveloped regions the most amount of resources and money and also time education to help them get out of the impacts of climate change so we need to help these countries better adapt to climate change help them mitigate the effects of climate change for example just having early warning systems In every single one of these developed countries, especially those countries that are being affected so heavily by climate change, giving them technologies like early warning systems to help them understand when natural disasters will be impacting their regions and their countries, so they can better adapt to the effects of climate change. So essentially, we just need to help these regions develop their resilience to such climatic events and help them increase productivity in sustainable ways so they aren't relying on emission intensive fuel like coal and wood and diesel and instead of relying on renewable energy and being more sustainable about how they produce products so we need to help them in that we need to help them understand how they can be more environmentally friendly and also ensure that their systems don't collapse. So we need to emphasise on the importance of restoring those habitats that have been degraded because they haven't been managed in a sustainable way. And developed countries won't be experiencing the sort of impacts of climate change that they are experiencing now. So we have that responsibility as people that have wealth and power to help those countries mitigate the impacts of climate change especially because we are actually the true causes of the climate crisis in the first place so that was sort of an introduction to why exactly climate change is now a social issue especially for the developing world and i just sort of kind of want to go through the different parts of societies that are really impacted by Climate change. So, we know it's the developing world that are heavily affected by it, but specific communities within the developing world, how are they affected and why are they affected heavily? Fishing communities are one part of the developing world that is affected by climate change. FAO actually has an article on this, you'll find it on my website, that kind of goes through the impacts of climate change on fishing communities. The full implications of climate change are actually not known because of the lack of research. Again, we think that land activities like agriculture will have a bigger impact on climate change than fishing industries, for instance. But actually, there is some sort of link and the impact of climate change on fishing communities is also quite direct. So even though we don't know the exact implications of climate change, on fisheries, but what we do know is that climate change will definitely increase the uncertainties and risks in supply of aquaculture. So we do know that the uncertainty of getting enough fish stock for fishing communities to sustain themselves and to thrive, the uncertainty related to that will definitely increase because of climate change and also the supply, the amount of fishing products that fishing communities are getting that will also become very uncertain because of climate change. Of course, if you have warmer oceans, because of climate change, you have an increase in carbon sequestration, and that will just cause a massive change in oceans, whether that's change in ocean currents or southern oscillations, sea level rise, changes in rainfall or river flows, ocean acidification, The impacts of climate change on the ocean is countless. You have a lot of impacts and climate change will definitely impact how oceans function, AKA fish stocks for fishing communities that so depend on fishing trade. Changes to the way the oceans function will definitely impact distribution of fish stocks. So the changes in total fish caught will impact fishing communities. Just to give you an example, Tropical countries could actually see up to a 40% drop in catch potential or just commercially available species because of the changing oceans and because of climate change. So what we could be seeing is that fish stocks are actually going to be moving north. And that's great for higher latitude areas because they'll be getting an increase of fish stocks. But the bad thing is, countries in higher latitude areas are the ones that are wealthy anyway. So if they're ending up with more fish stock, they'll just become wealthier and the regions that are so depending on these fish stock, they're just going to become less financially stable. They will lose those stocks that they so depend on international trade for. So that's a really big financial loss that they will have. This problem especially becomes amplified for small scale fish farmers. So not just the massive industries in tropical regions or in developing regions but actually just the small-scale farmers that really, really just depend on fishing for their income. Not only will climate change affect fish stocks and how many fish that fishermen can actually sell, extreme weather events can actually impact infrastructure of fisheries. So you'll have ports that can be destroyed and vessels, which will just further increase the cost relating to fishing. And this will heavily impact small scale farmers that don't have enough resources to switch to something else or they don't have enough money to switch to something else. They depend on those fishes. They depend on the fishing trade. And again, yes, it's going to be affecting developing countries the most, but ultimately it will impact the entire global trading patterns of fishery. So it's just going to become a massive problem for anyone that's dependent on fish and aquaculture products across the globe. It's not just going to be impacting developing regions. It is definitely impacting them right now. But again, like I said, throughout my series, that this climate crisis is not just an issue for the developing world, nor is it an issue for just a particular region, a particular country. This is a global issue. It's affecting absolutely everyone. And even if we aren't seeing the impacts of it, other people are. And effectively, we will definitely be impacted by it very soon if we just don't do anything about it, if we continue with the mindset of business as usual and pretend that the climate crisis will be solved by itself and continue on to emit heavily. So that's one part of the developing world that is really impacted by climate change. And I will just like to go through how Africa is affected by this. When I gave the 10 most countries that produce the least amount of CO2 emissions annually, you might have noticed that all of those countries are African countries, all of them, literally all of them. So that tells you a lot. That tells you that, yes, the developing world and developing countries, nations are being impacted by climate change, the climate crisis heavily compared to wealthier countries. But it is definitely Africa that is being affected the most out of those developing countries. And the science, The statistics show that the problem of climate change and the climate crisis has become so massive in Africa that researchers and writers are actually labelling this issue as the African Anthropocene. What this term actually means I will explain in a while, but I just want to emphasise why I think Africa is being heavily impacted by the climate crisis, perhaps the most impacted by climate change currently. And then I'll explain what exactly the African Anthropocene is. So the main problem in Africa right now is that, whether you know it or not, Africa is actually becoming urban at a very high rate to the point that the rate of urbanisation has become the largest in the entire world. And for people hearing this, you probably think that's really good that Africa is developing at a high rate and it will definitely impact them in a positive way. The problem is, yes, sure, the rate of urbanisation is increasing, but local governments are just becoming too pressurised to handle that rate of urbanisation because they have a very big lack of resources. So local governments are just too under-resourced to provide for this high urbanisation rate that's going on in Africa. So governments in African countries are just not being able to meet the rate of urbanisation that's occurring in Africa right now. And that is exactly why you're seeing so many informal settlements occurring in African cities. Because governments just don't have enough resources to provide housing for everyone moving into urban areas. Governments don't have enough resources to provide for those people. So people are just forming informal settlements in African cities. One of these settlements that are being actually really impacted by climate change is Durban, which is in South Africa. And Durban is actually home to around 2,000 people. And the bad thing about it is that, of course, if you have informal housing, that housing won't be able to withstand extreme weather events or any sort of impact from climate change. They won't be able to withstand that, of course, because those houses are just made out of scraps of metal or basically anything that they can find, just so they can live in the city and have access to jobs and anything else that, of course, city dwellers have benefits to. And one of the ways that these settlements are affected by climate change is that, for instance, my example of Durban. Durban received... More than 200 millimeters of rain on Easter weekend this year, so 2019. They received 200 millimeters of rain more than that on Easter weekend this year, and that is basically three times the average rainfall for the whole of April in Durban. So they received three times the average amount of rainfall in April, and you can just imagine the impact on informal settlements because of that rain. Of course, like I said. Informal housing just won't be able to withstand rainfall at that extent, and people will just be displaced. And that is exactly what happened in Durban because of that amount of rainfall. At least 60 deaths occurred in Easter weekend. Thousands of people were displaced because of the rainfall, and over 650 million rand worth of property damage occurred just because of that rainfall event. Again, yes, those informal settlements. They aren't formal, they aren't strong enough to withstand that rain but people do invest their money and their time to make those informal settlements and when that rain occurred, all of that got washed away. 60 people at least died and so many people were displaced. So many people that needed to stay in that region for their jobs or for their children's school or universities, whatever service they needed, they had to be displaced from that because of this rainfall and because of the fact that local governments just don't have enough money to provide for enough houses for everyone that is moving into cities. And these extreme weather events that we are seeing that is affecting places like Durban, it is because of anthropogenic climate change. 39 of flooding events that were assessed recently have shown that 21 were actually found to be made more severe just because of human-induced climate change. So 21 of the 39 flooding events we've seen this year throughout the world, they were definitely caused by human-induced climate change, or at least they were worsened because of human-induced climate change. The IPCC have reported that with every half degree of temperature rise globally, the likelihood and the intensity of floods will definitely increase. So with every half a degree of temperature rise globally, you will see the likelihood and intensity of floods increasing. Just to give you an example, if we have a 2 degrees Celsius rise in global temperature, the likelihood of more frequent and intense floods will be significantly higher compared to a 1.5 degrees Celsius rise in global temperature. So you can just see that 0.5 degrees Celsius increase in global temperature just by 0.5 degrees Celsius you will have a significant amount of frequent and intensive floods. And that's mainly because, of course, if you have higher temperatures, you'll have more water being evaporated from ocean surfaces, and that will definitely cause rainfall or any sort of rainfall event, whether that's floods or whether that's hurricanes. Another reason why I think that Africa is definitely being affected the most from this climate crisis is that the IPCC has also found that those affected by extreme flooding events will actually be the lowest income areas in the African continent. So all of the underdeveloped areas and the financially unstable regions will be affected the most by intense flooding due to anthropogenic climate change. Essentially, we need to reduce the impact of climate change, the climate crisis on the developed world, especially countries in Africa. And the only way we can do this is two ways. Two ways I need to go hand in hand. One is, of course, for developed countries, wealthy countries, to heavily reduce their emissions. And the second, we need to help countries in Africa that are affected by climate change, or just countries in the developing world that are affected by the climate crisis. We need to help them mitigate climate change. We need to help them, especially these informal settlements that I've just talked about. We need to help people to stop relying on informal housing and actually get better, resilient housing, get formal housing. And we need to be pressurising governments in these regions to do something about it. And we need to help them. We can't just pressurise them because they are the ones that don't have enough resources. They are the ones that don't have enough power to produce those formal housing. So we need to, as wealthy nations... We need to help fund these countries so they can get formal housing for their citizens so they don't have to be impacted by climate change like how they are being impacted right now. So we just need to empower residents of informal housing and make them realise that they don't have to live this way. They really don't and the way that they won't be living in informal settlements is because wealthy countries are granting these countries, these developing countries and giving them enough money and resources so they can ensure that every single person in their countries and in their regions has a formal settlement, has a formal form of housing, so they won't be impacted by the climate crisis in this way. So hopefully you're starting to understand why exactly scientists, researchers, writers are calling the climate crisis issue in Africa that African Anthropocene. Why have they labelled that? And that is basically because... The impact of human dominance on this planet is heavily affecting places like Africa and in fact is affecting Africa the most. You can already see how the rate of urbanisation is increasing so much that governments just can't match that rate of increase in urbanisation and people are just depending on informal settlements. That is a form of the Anthropocene affecting Africa. Urbanisation is great but if governments just can't sustain that rate of urbanization there is basically no point of it so that's just a part of the african anthropocene but how did this all start and why is africa being made the victim of this issue of this climate crisis first of all i'll just like to start off with how this anthropocene basically came to be and how africa has a major role to play in the formation of the anthropocene if you believe that the anthropocene started Around the 1900s, which I do. You might already know, but Africa is actually quite rich in minerals. And because of this, mineral extraction in Africa is definitely massive. And that is exactly why Africa helped fuel the Anthropocene by providing minerals to the entire world. So, because of those minerals and because of that extraction of those minerals, the Anthropocene was able to be fueled, especially in the global north. So, you have things like gold. Apparently, gold became a major lubricant for industrial capitalism, especially for European and North American currencies. Gold became a massive, massive fuel to the Anthropocene that we are seeing today. Minerals such as uranium were supplied from Africa that fueled the Cold War. So, a lot of mineral extraction from Africa actually helped wealthier countries become wealthier and essentially just fueled the Anthropocene and made it basically worse. So Africa has really catalyzed the Anthropocene from the beginning because of the natural resources they were providing to the entire world, especially wealthy countries. The term African Anthropocene might make you think that conditions in Africa are just becoming better because they're becoming more urban and they might sort of be developing to the point that they will definitely become developed one day. And the irony of this term is that when we talk about Anthropocene, we usually talk about economic growth and just wealthy nations in general. But the Anthropocene has actually had a negative impact on Africa, has had the opposite impact that wealthy countries have seen. For instance, the Niger Delta, which is known as the world's most significant petroleum sources, has caused more than 7,000 oil spillages already in the past half century. So, like I said, urbanisation is increasing. So, of course, Africa is wanting to supply the demand of petroleum in the world and, of course, gain money from that and gain economic growth from that. But That same petroleum source, that is the world's most significant petroleum source, caused more than 7,000 oil spillages. So you can already imagine the level of contamination that would be in the water, the land and ultimately the communities that are living in that region and that so depend on the natural resources there. Because of this urge for essentially all of the countries in the world to become more urban and to become more strong in terms of their economies, that has caused a lot of countries, like African countries, to grow in a very unsustainable way because they don't have the money and they don't have the resources that developing countries do. And so of course their growth will be unsustainable and that is of course affecting them in a very negative way and which is causing their systems to collapse because unsustainable systems just won't be strong enough to carry on in the future. Not only is mineral extraction and fossil fuel extraction a problem in Africa when we talk about the African anthropocene, but you also have issues of outdoor pollution now, air pollution. Premature death rates have actually been attributed to outdoor pollution in African cities, and the death rates because of air pollution has increased by 36% from 1990 to 2013. That probably would have shocked you you know when we talk about pollution especially in developing regions or regions that are not as strong as countries like the US and the UK we just automatically think about the smog that we see in Beijing or New Delhi and we just associate air pollution as part of the industrial nation issues you know it's just a problem for industrial nations the ones that are really developed or on their way of becoming very developed But in fact, air pollution is actually becoming a major issue in African cities, especially. And I've just realised that this part of my episode is again getting too long. So to hear exactly why air pollution is affecting Africa and why it's not just an industrial nation issue, please listen to part two of this episode. I will split up this episode into part 4.1 and 4.2. So definitely listen to 4.2 to finish off this episode and essentially this series of why climate change should be our priority. Thank you for listening. I hope you've gained a little more insight to what it's like to be mindful of everything. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on your favourite podcast app to be up to date with episode releases, and go over to my website, mindfulofeverything.home.blog to get more information. This is Agrita with the Mindful of Everything podcast and I shall see you next time.